Hi, I'm Eddie Baracco, striking coach at Extreme Couture. You're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. BetUS Sportsbook is your ultimate destination for online betting. With sports betting, live betting, racebook, online slots, and online casino. It's available across the U.S. and Canada. Use the code PSP to receive a massive sign-up bonus. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. My name is Cooper Ron. You know me as Kobe, and today I've got the Joker with me, Justin Williams. How you doing, buddy? Oh, my God, dude. I had a four-hour comedy writing session for this theater show I'm doing on December. You can still get tickets at paradisetheater.com. Holy crap. I have so much work to kind of touch up, but I'm excited, bro. Nice plug. Nice drop. That was, that was impressive, nice. Justin. We just slide that one in there. But today we are not talking comedy. We're talking pain. We're talking perseverance. Yep. We're talking with Eddie Barrico, who is a striking coach with Extreme Couture in Vegas. This guy has coached WC, UFC, Bellator, PFL, you name it. He's been on the Ultimate Fighter twice as a coach. Today we've got him with us. We're going to talk a little bit of MMA and what it takes to become a striking coach in the business. Eddie, how you doing? Good, good. How you guys doing? Fantastic, buddy. Fantastic. Let's let's get started. How did you get into striking? What got you to martial arts? I think, you know, like a lot of kids, you know, you start doing things like Taekwondo and, and that, that was my entry into it when you're little, you know, for me, it was kind of always a secondary sport as I grew up playing, you know, baseball and, and soccer and football and all those, those other, you know, more popular sports, more mainstream ones back then, as far as that goes. And, um, you know, make a long story short after college uh, was over for me, I had had an opportunity to get started at a gym that was just starting in Las Vegas. And it was before all the MMA gyms existed. And it was a gym called Pure Formance Training Center. And my uncle, Steve Kissel, knew the guy who was opening it. Uh, his name was uh, his name's Ron McCormick. And uh, I, I got in over there just because they were buddies. And, you know, we essentially built the gym out. And I got offered a position uh, as ma- in management there. And I was just trained every day. And, uh, you know, I always did martial arts growing up as a kid. And, you know, and then... Uh, as the coaches were there, it was still separated uh, as far as what we think of an MMA gym today. So One Kicks did the Muay Thai program. They had Cobra Kai doing a jiu-jitsu program there. They brought in boxing coaches from Johnny Tokos here. And, and so it was like, you know, you'd go from one practice to another, but it was under one roof for the first time ever. You know, and one thing led to another and coaches were like, hey, you're going to come train. You're going to come over here. You're going to this practice. You're going to that practice. And, uh, yeah. And then, you know, I started competing and, you know, I never did it on a, a level what these guys are doing that I coach, you know, but I was able to, uh, 
I was able to do it successfully and I got to compete in boxing and, and kickboxing, Muay Thai, uh, MMA. Uh, I found my love in the striking side of, of combat sports. And back then you weren't really making any money doing any of it anyway. Uh, there was no amateur MMA yet. You just went straight pro, you know, so I, I did what I liked and that was kickboxing and that was that type of stuff. So then early on, I realized that like, my body was just getting thrashed and it just wasn't going to be, you know, the long-term effect, if you will, that I wanted in my life. I didn't want to be, you know, hobbling around the playground with my kids. I wanted to be active and playing with them. So uh, I was like, maybe I switched to coaching and maybe I could do this because you don't know, you know, you, maybe you're good at fighting and you can't coach or vice versa. And who knows, right? Until you try it. So uh, I gave it a shot despite all my coaches being upset at the time and didn't look back. And, you know, I was grateful that I was able to you know, kind of make that acknowledgement early on and transition when I did because it gave me an avenue into MMA as a striking coach, you know, still learning the different stuff uh, as far as, um, you know, the, the wrestling and all that stuff to add to it. Now, when this first gym opened that you worked with, what, what years are we talking about then? Well, we're talking like 20, 21 years ago. Okay. Okay. So, so mixed so martial I, arts was growing at the time. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was just, you know, it was very, it was at its infancy, yeah. You know, um, the UFC wasn't owned by the Fertitas at the time, you know, and, and that just started and that were, or it had just transitioned over. And then the ultimate fighter show had number one had just came out as I was already getting into it, you know, and it was kind of one of those things that was all happening at once. And I was like, I wonder how do you get into that? And then everything just kind of fell into place for me. And it kind of makes sense that you'd lean toward striking considering you, you started off as a Taekwondo practitioner. And at that time, like K1 kickboxing was huge. Oh yeah, absolutely. I used to go to uh, a DVD store. It was a Japanese DVD store in Las Vegas. And you can go in there and you pick stuff out on the shelf, like a blockbuster. Yeah. Except you didn't get to walk out with it that day. They would burn you copies and uh, you'd go back and pick it up the next day. And these were like K1 Max, K1, uh, like Heroes, like all the old Japanese promotions you know obviously pride and you know all the big ones and stuff and it was back in those days and it was great you know getting to watch all that stuff no that's awesome man that's awesome that store should have been called pre-limewire where everyone got everything for free <laughs> no kidding i remember limewire oh my god limewire frostwire apparently frostwire right. was like the pro version of limewire i don't know i don't recognize any of those names i i pirate bay i bet you don't um anyways talking about my viruses and stuff so being a being a striking coach eddie is there anything that kind of took you by surprise when you became a striking coach like something that you're like oh yeah i forgot that might be something i have to do i thought that i wasn't gonna get beat up as much <laughs> and boy was i wrong <laughs> some days i'm like i think i get beat up more now i think like i take more damage now than i did but in reality it's i didn't or I don't, but uh, honestly, that's the first thing that comes to mind is is just how uh, taxing it is physically on on a, the body of somebody who holds pads for for fighters. You know, Cause you have the coaching aspect of it, obviously, which is the you know knowing the person, the psychology of of the fighter, and the game planning, and the studying, and you know all the things outside of that. And then you have the pad holding part, which is extremely physical. You know, for a striking coach, and a lot of the things are 
individual sessions and you know it's it's a lot of involvement that uh you know some some aspects of mma is like all team practices and coaches and it's not a lot of individual stuff but uh with a striking coach it's a lot of it so but it's okay. it's rewarding you get to spend a lot of individual time with the fighters that you coach uh you, you know you get to know them as people uh and what what you know and and i enjoy that time well, I mean, that's good. That means you're passionate about what you do. But then kind of kind of furthering onto this point, how do you take on new clients? Is there like an application process? Do they come in, cut you a check? Or like, is there a certain status they need? Like, what's up? Yeah, gosh. Um, you know, I find myself talking about it a lot because uh, I wish I had enough of me physically to go around every day. And I wish I had enough time to get to work with everybody that uh, you know, wanted, wants to work with me. And, and there's so many that are just so deserving of it as well. And the unfortunate reality is, is there's only so many hours in a day and I can only hold pads so many sessions in a day. And, you know, a lot of it just has to do with, you know, being able to say that, you know, you really vibe with each other. You like this person as a person, not just as a, a from a business aspect and what you see, because obviously that's super important, right? You're seeing them in the gym. You're seeing them from a business perspective of how they train their work ethic. Do they show up on time? Do they stay, uh, you know, or early? Do they stay later? Do they do all the extra stuff? Do they do the right things out of the gym? You know, are they eating correctly? Are they not partying? Are they not doing all that stuff? You know, so you're looking at all that and then it's, you know, do you vibe with that person? Are you going to be all right with, tra you want to travel with them and be in a hotel room with them for a week? You know, uh, are they committed to to your practices and all those things? And, you know, I take all that into account long before, long before I even get into, you know, the monetary side of things. And that's more like a, where do they stand? You know, that's not like a a one size fits all. You know, it's like if they're if they're getting started, it's like, hey, what can you afford? You know, you're not you're not trying to bake, break the bank of these guys. You know where they come from. I know where they come from. You know, I know how hard it is to get started as a as a professional fighter. You know, you're taking in, into that uh, you're taking that stuff into an account uh, as a coach as well. You know, and then you're trying to find a, a happy ground with these guys to where worth your time as a as a coach, as a you know, for myself as a 41 year old with family and you know only so much time uh, and and years left in the sport and and as well as you know their side is you know being that they fit all those those little aspects of what you're looking for for a fighter. So it's tough. It's tough. I <laughs> wish I could I wish I could coach everybody that, you know, that deserves it. I was going to say that's a, a beautifully worded answer with a litany of obstacles and hurdles to kind of jump over. So for those who do make it and can can afford you and and can have you in their lives, I mean they're truly blessed to have such some like a veteran on their side. How much does psychology play when your athlete is not doing as well as they should be doing, or you think they're doing in the cage? Uh, it's a lot, you know, I, it's a lot in general, whether they're doing well or not well, you know, because if they're doing well, you have to grab a hold of that string on that balloon and make sure they're still grounded to earth. Right. And if they're not doing well, you're reminding them of, of the things that they are doing, right? Because sometimes they get hyper-focused and they're such perfectionists that, you know, what got them to the point that they're at professionally 
uh, can also be something that holds them back from going further. You know, so you're trying to help them understand that balance of every day is not going to be the best day. Uh, every fight's not going to be your best fight. What can we work on? What are the things that are in our control that we can work on? You know, and if we need to list them out and actually write them so you can visually see it, we'll do it. What can we physically work on? And what do we have control over? All right, let's do it. And, and what do we not? Okay, well, you're going to have to just let that go for now. So finding that... Uh, is huge for them and the psychology is huge and understanding how each individual fighter works right you know for some of them you know they want to be grabbed and shaken and screamed at and some of them you know want a, a calm pep talk so you have to know the difference right i'm very much a calm pep talk give me the sandwich method kind of guy yeah the the extreme couture vegas i guess fighter stable is stacked absolutely stacked so like this was earlier today dana white announced that sean strickland will be facing his next opponent which will be Dirkus pussy down the down the road for me actually here in toronto at 297 yeah i saw that does that change your schedule no it doesn't change my schedule it doesn't so big announcements big fights coming up it doesn't really adjust your schedule with the stable of fighters you deal with no, not me specifically. Okay. Do, do you work with Sadabusi or no? No, I love him. He's awesome. Uh, he works with Ray uh, primarily in the gym, and uh, he's always a pleasure when he comes in the gym. You know, he makes a point to say hi to everybody. He's super respectful. Always got a smile on his face. Always working hard. You know, he, he's a great guy to have in the gym. But he's I, no, he's I, an awesome So I, t I tend to try to limit my weight class like once they hit 155 pounds like johnny case who uh, was the last at that weight class i coached when he was fighting over in rising that anything over that becomes extremely difficult for me physically okay like th those guys like th if they're fighting at 155 you gotta imagine what they're walking around at so i you know somebody fighting at 170 or anything heavier than that they're walking around they're you know, they got a lot of size on me and I'm receiving all that impact. So I'm, you know, I'm passing those guys. I'm like, hey, Eric's over there. You know, he, he's your guy. You know what I mean? I remember yeah. Eric went out of town twice or he went out of town and he asked me to hold pads for Francis twice. Oh. And, uh, and I just remember he got back in town. I said, don't ever do it. Don't ever ask me to do that again. That's right. For, first two punches he threw, I was like, all right, if somebody could go grab my arm over there and bring it back to me. Like, you know, it was ridiculous, but it was, it's fun, you know. Uh, do you work with our fellow countryman, Jeremy Kennedy, though? Absolutely. Uh, Jeremy and I have been working together for years. Uh, absolutely love Jeremy in and out of the gym. Uh, one of those guys that you wish you had a dozen of them around. You know, I, I absolutely love working with Jeremy. So it's been great uh, having Jeremy around, you know. I uh, originally started working with him years ago, back when Fallis was still alive. Uh, yeah. He and I were working with Jeremy. Uh, at the PI, and then slowly we made our way over to Extreme Couture. Um, it's been great to see his growth. Uh, really looking forward, you know, to his next upcoming fight. Hopefully, you know, it's... Title it's, fight. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> you would think so at this point, right? Yeah. But uh, who knows with that stuff, right? You know, uh, another guy out from your neck of the woods, so I work fights for one championship, uh, St. Lion, Gardashan Manganet. Yep. Another great guy, you know, that, that comes from up there. It's another good, good guy to have at the gym. So, Awesome, buddy. Awesome. Now, you've seen 
the evolution of striking because of mixed martial arts. Yeah. Do do you believe or feel like the uh, single discipline dojo is on its way out? I don't know. I mean, I think there always probably be a, be a place for that in somewhere, you know, even if it's for you're just getting started in martial arts and, you know, the huge gyms like Extreme Couture are intimidating and you need a place to get started. Or, you know, like jiu-jitsu gyms, for example. Like, there'll always be a place for just singular jiu-jitsu gyms, okay. I believe. Boxing gyms is, is another thing I think they'll always be around. You know, it's a sport of its own. I think you see in the United States, states especially, like the kickboxing and the Muay Thai kind of merging more and more with the MMA gyms rather yeah. than having their own places. Las Vegas still has One Kicks Gym, which is a, a stronghold in Muay Thai out here, you know, and they're still doing their thing, but there's been a ton of ton of them that have just come and gone. So Yeah. I, I always think like the karate and the taekwondo and all that for the kids to get started, that'll always be around. And I think some of those other, you know, specific you know, martial art gyms will have a, a, a purpose, but yeah. I think the, the the route it's going, it's either going to be, you're going to either be like a, an extreme couture, which is going to cater to professionals, not cater to, but it's going to be known as, as a gym with professional fighters. Obviously, we have a ton of classes, and the majority of the members at extreme couture don't fight professionally, right? Yeah. But, um, I, you know, I think it'll be that or just like jiu-jitsu gyms, yeah. Okay, well, fair enough. Yeah, it would be kind of interesting to almost have like a, not the bully beatdown situation like there was an MTV a while ago, but just casually have a veteran fighter coach, just a fleet of new people. I always thought that was interesting when when, when places do that. And I feel like, couture, like Extreme Couture will be the place that people can go and be like, oh, I was low-key just trained by, insert awesomely cool name here. Yeah. So I yeah, mean, you know what's funny is we have a Wimp to Warrior program that's something similar to that. Wimp to up. Warrior. Yeah. yeah, if you look that up, look that up. Wimp to Warrior. That Dream sounds Warrior. so inviting yet so terrifying all in one go. It's a good. It's a good one. Didn't Henry Cejudo just do that recently, Kobe in Toronto? He had like a uh, a training session or something. With a bunch of like random people. Uh no, it's uh, it's people who are connected to Tenth Planet, I believe. Uh, yeah, no, sorry. One sec. I'm just looking at it right now. Yeah. My friend actually went, she got to train with him. Interesting. Six month training program. Six months. Bro. Physical. I wonder the last time, I wonder the last time they did that. I don't, I don't know if I've heard about it for a bit, but it, that's what came to my mind when uh, we were talking about that. I was like, Oh wait, I remember hearing about the whole went to warrior program. I know we do have a pretty fun, uh, you know, amateur tryout that's worth coming to. Uh, I feel like I would 100% do well at the amateur tryout, only because I myself am an amateur. <laughs> You're not an amateur. Eh, I consider if, myself. If you hold a black belt in anything, it takes you out of amateur status, buddy. Eh, I feel like it. Nah, I feel like I'm still an amateur. I'll, I'll come in well, and just be humble. Yeah, no, it's more for like you know, I'm an amateur still. I want to be on the. I want to go to the pro practices. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, you uh, do that. That's fair. Totally would. But kind of moving forward back to coaching. Do you help people cut weight? I imagine you would. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, when the athletes that I 
coach hold pads for travel with yeah i'm there for that process I, that's a very big part of the the fight week process is the weight cut you know it's important for them to have their team their coaches around them it's it sucks enough for those guys that is as is so you know the more people that could be around to help to alleviate the burden or just to occupy their mind you know the better for them so yeah okay now let's say somebody new a wimp if you will is listening to this episode uh what advice would you give for weight cutting that they might not particularly hear casually i guess or might not already know you know i'm not sure what the average person knows now with the the internet and all that stuff and it's evolved so much from when i was cutting weight you know when i was cutting weight it's like starve yourself dehydrate <laughs> yourself. Melt, yeah, melt yourself yeah like just die for a whole week <laughs> yeah. and then lock yourself into a sauna with a bike and a sauna suit on and die more it's just you know what I mean? it's just like crazy to think of what we were doing then Brutal. because now it's you know you don't want to do that you don't want your body to think that it's it's you know needing to hold on to every single thing that it has in it because it is dying right so you still want to keep the water and you still want to keep some nutrients. Like obviously as you get closer to the weight cut, you're, you know, removing things like salts. But I will say that I have, you know, coach fighters, uh, Lance Palmer, for example, you know, still uses electrolytes on weight, on weight cut and, and fight week. So every fighter is going to be different. You know, who they're uh, partnered up with as far as who's doing their diet, who knows that athlete like that. And some of them got it down to a science, right? So, but I think, as a general rule is make sure you don't start eliminating water too early. You know, there's a, a thing called water loading. So you should be increasing your water uh, load bef before that weight cut, you know, make sure you're, you know, watching what you eat as far as the salt intake, you should be reducing your carbohydrate intake, right? So there's a, a part of dieting that's involved that should be happening over the course of a couple months leading up to your fight where you're monitoring your calories, you're monitoring your protein, your carbs, you know, all that, and you're starting to slim down, right? At the same time, you're not decreasing your water and then come fight week right before the, the weight cut, maybe the day before the day, obviously the day of, but the day before you start turning that water off, you know, and that's like a basic, you know, if I can give you just a quick basic rundown of it, you know, it's like that be... Don't start cutting things out too soon. Make sure you get a lot of water, no salt, fight week, uh, and make sure you're dieting f for a period of time before the fight. Don't just expect to lose it all in the, in the water cut. Wow. And then just as important is how you're putting it back on, right? So once that weight is made, the rehydration process needs to start before you get food. As you're starting the rehydration process, you do have to start putting something in your stomach to help absorb all that liquid. So you don't just start throwing it up or just passing it through, you know, so like plain rice crackers or things of that nature to help absorb that the UFC gives the guys like plain bagels, you know, it's mm -hmm. whatever your preference is or whatever you can get down, whatever is even appetizing at that time. But you know, a lot of hydration, some fruit, then you could start getting the crackers to absorb stuff. And then, you know, you can move into your, you know, normal meals as the day goes on. So super important to do that right. 
Uh, and don't just, you know, real important, don't just slam electrolytes and salts and salty waters right after your weight cut for your hydration. Make sure you're getting equal amount of water in with that because too much of those, those electrolytes, the salt, the magnesium, uh, you'll, you'll have an adverse effect to it without the water. You'll start giving yourself the shits and stuff. So, Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, so kind of focusing more on that cutting again, cause that seems to be a hot topic when it comes to MMA, especially for newer people. What's the most extreme cut you've seen? You don't have to mention mm. any names if you don't want. Yeah, you don't have to mention. You don't have to be like I saw. Well, we all know Alex yeah. Pereira used to cut insane. That I, I mean, that I've so that I personally know of, or that I've per, that I've been a part of, like a cut that I've been a part of. You know what? Now that you brought it up, both. I'm curious. Okay, well, I would say uh, the largest one I ever heard of anybody doing was like close to 27 pounds. Something like that. Jesus. Which is insane. And it was a big guy. It was like almost 30 pounds, something like that. And then um, biggest one I've been a part of, I've, you know, in the 20s. And this is these, these for athletes like fighting at like 135, <laughs> coming yeah. in, cutting at like 20 pounds, fight week. That's crazy. Yeah. So there was, it took me a month and this is very unhealthy and I don't recommend anyone do this, but I've always been like, I found it interesting to kind of play with my weight, if you will. Mm -hmm. So at one point when I used to be really fat, I used to be 240 pounds. And then I kind of cut to uh, about 190 and whatever it is. And then I was like, you know what? I want to see how low I can go until I feel like trash. So what I did was, is I would consume about a thousand calories a day. I would do a minimum thousand calorie cardio every day, plus lifting, plus sauna. Oh, wow. But I wouldn't consume my calories in one go. I would space them out. So it was about 325, 330 per meal. And it would just be like basically solid protein for the most part. And I ended up cutting down to 165. And I have a photo on my Instagram to prove that the cut, mate, I felt like trash by the time I oh, hit the yeah. 65 mark. I'm oh, like, yeah. I look good, but oh my God. Yeah. Talk about being in a calorie deficit. Oh, oh Jesus. It got so bad. My work, at the time I was an engineer, the head engineer came to me and was like, are you dying of something? Like, are you okay? And I, I used to walk around with this huge water bottle, like this like liter or couple liter bottle. Like all I would do is just drink water for the most part. Like, lemon water and, and apple cider vinegar water and i was like yeah, yeah, yeah no it's fine i'm just just dieting just cutting weight for the fun of it all for the for, for the fun of it legit i just i just wanted to see how low i can go until my body was like we're gonna kill you if you go any lower and uh yeah so don't recommend but it was nice to have a six-pack for a little bit yeah that's crazy i could only <laughs> imagine what deficit you'd have been in like your body's just basic metabolic rate combined with what you were burning I wish in like a thousand, you're probably in a like 3000 plus a deficit a day. I honestly, you're, you're, I, yeah, probably. And I really wish I knew it took me about 28 to 30 days to cut all that weight too. Damn, so crazy. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It, it's, I wish I had somebody there monitoring me. Like I'd do it again. If I had somebody there monitoring me, I wouldn't mind. I'd be like, let's do it right. one more time. Yeah. But. Jeremy Kennedy, he's like, oh, <laughs> scientist with the diet stuff. I've ne this guy <laughs> monitors, records, tracks, scans, everything, everything. I've never ways. I'm, I'm, we're talking about everything. Again, you know, when you brought him up, I was like, "This is a guy you wish you had twelve of." 
right? Like, this is somebody who does everything right. Everything a fighter is, you know, supposed to do. Brilliant. Ah, I love those stories. Yeah, we, we've had Jeremy Kenny on the show. We asked him about weight cutting. He said, oh, it's not a problem. It's, it's, he's, he's like, I'm so used to it <laughs> that it, oh, it's, it's automatic yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The easiest weight cut I've ever seen in my life, Kai Kamaka. I've never seen anything like that. I think uh, he sh- the 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 fight that was out. Um, oh, where was it in Hawaii? I always forget. Uh, was it uh, was it Honolulu? I believe where Bellator went out there. Anyway, I think he shadow boxed, played football for a second. Eric and I threw the football around. <laughs> he drilled with Jeremy, sat in a sauna thing. Eric and I got done trying to annihilate each other with a football across the room we were trying to throw it through each other for some reason that night and kai was done his weight was i I was like ready to start and the second time around you know same thing jump rope shadow box we hit we hit pads for like five rounds and uh and he was on weight and i just couldn't believe it you know some guys like that some guys you know 20 pounds to cut in a week consistently you know and that and that guy that i mentioned he he has to go through it every single fight yeah, when I when I think like heavy duty weight cuts, I always think of Anthony Rumble Johnson, rest in peace. But I mean, he used to cut ridiculous weight to fight a welterweight. Yeah, right. So I mean, I think it was some, I'm pretty sure it's close to thirty pounds he was cutting at that time. So it's just just crazy. But I mean, those kind of cuts you don't hear about so much anymore. It's it's kind of like a different sport now. Yeah, if they're doing it right, they're not doing it like that. That's for sure. Now you've obviously coached a lot of great fighters was there anyone whose power surprised you whose power surprised me surprised me no i don't know if surprise you know what i mean joseph benavidez power will surprise you yeah because you you meet him and you're like oh he's not a big guy right yeah but when you go look out how many knockouts he had in his weight class or how many finishes it's like oh okay dude has some power Right. So, so it wasn't like necessarily surprising when I held pads from the first time, but I was like, oh, I, okay. I, I, it makes sense now. Yeah. Yeah. Cody Stamen can hit really hard for his, but he's a 135 er and he hits like a 145 er for sure. Like consist, like at, for sure. The guy's got, the guy's got some really good, really good, really clean boxing. Um, and we need to be able to, to sit on it. You know, he, it does, he hasn't been able to actually, I think, show that and reflected it in any of the ufc competitions for the most part you know he he definitely has some you see you know his last fight you know went out there you know dropped a guy a couple times you know that was a tough dude he fought obviously Mm -hmm. but um who else power is surprising i don't know if anybody else i would say would be surprising it'd be like people you'd expect to have you know people that can hit and their records reflect it you know, so it's not really surprising. Okay, and this being mixed martial arts, and there's so many different forms of striking. Uh, the other question I was going to have for you was: or anyone's technique that surprised you, or actually taught you something? Uh, each one of them. Yeah. Every, every single person I've ever caught, uh, coached has taught me something. You've learned Absolutely. something from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Multiple things. Yeah, I've I've taken away multiple techniques or. Uh, you know, sequences or you name it from every single person that I've coached. And, that, and that's the beautiful thing about it. It's uh, it's a constant, it should be that process, 
you know, and I, I even read, I remember reading early on, um, uh, a book that was uh, a book about Freddie Roach and Manny Pacquiao and their relationship with each other and how Manny would do things in the pad sessions and, you know, Freddie would expand on that or play off that, or Freddie would see Manny do something in sparring that he'd never seen or never used, and he would use that in pad sessions, and then Manny would add on to it. So there was this creativity back and forth between the two of them. So that, you know, that plateau that sometimes fighter coach will experience, you know, it takes a lot longer to get there. And I feel like if, as long as coaches are still learning from the fighters around them and the other coaches, you know, I think it's a good thing. You know, at any given time, if I'm running a practice in the room, you know, the majority of the guys in the room can run the practice. You know, that's how much knowledge they have, right? So it's, uh, it's a two-way street. You know, we're learning as coaches and picking up off things. Guys come into town, you know, from other states or other countries, and we get to pick something up. It's, it's a, always, always going on, so it's fun. So you had a fair amount of success as a fighter yourself. How much, how much better are you technically now than when you competed? I would say a lot more, uh, a lot more dynamic, and I had a lot more tools. You know, it was very, very rudimentary and basic back then. You know, uh, it's like then are you right-handed? Okay, well you stand right-handed. You know, that's it. Now guys are switching stances and going back and forth and. You know the the technique and the and the the stuff that they're doing, uh, I think today is so much more advanced. Uh, and you know, as as a former competitor in the sport, you know, I've only been able to learn and learn more and more and more. So uh, that enables me to teach it and implement it and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's it's crazy the difference between now and then, or you know, early on in fighting sports, how how much more basic things were than they are now. And when it comes to sort of natural ability, what trumps what? Does power trump all? Or would you rather someone with great footwork over power? You know, I think that answer might be different depending on the weight class. Okay. You know, uh, I think depending on the weight class, uh, different attributes uh, attributes might be more beneficial than others, right? You know, I... I, I styles make fights right so if a guy is all power and then he's fighting somebody who's got really great footwork and fast and it's got great technique and you know who implements their game plan right me personally if i had to go for a trip attributes like with a fighter it wouldn't have it wouldn't have much to do with like the skill set particularly because i feel like a lot of that stuff we could teach uh, I want to see things like work ethic. Are you coachable? Do you listen? Do you show up, you know, early, which is on time? Do you have do you have that fire? You know, do you have that that little bit of killer instinct in you? You know, uh, I want to see all those things. Obviously, some people are more athletic than others, and you can only teach a certain amount of athleticism, right? Or of course certain amount of any of that stuff but i feel like you know we could work on technique to get more power i could we could do footwork drills to get better footwork you know we could do all those things but i feel like all there's certain things that's just hard to teach or harder to teach okay oh fair enough fair enough awesome talking to you buddy yeah you're very straightforward enjoying talking to you man 
Yeah, this is uh, so interesting for me to kind of hear from the coaching's perspective. And it's it's always new, especially when I've never been coached in an MMA setting before, but a lot of our fans either have an interest or are doing it very shortly in themselves. So it's kind of cool to, to help that process and kind of get to understand what you're saying. Now, before we kind of get you going or kind of get you out of here, uh, how can our fans reach you on social media? You could reach me on my Instagram for sure. It's at Eddie underscore Baracco. Other than that, I don't really have any other social media. I, I barely can keep up with, <laughs> with Instagram much. You know, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not the huge social media on it all day, letting you know what I'm doing all the time, you know, and that's, it could be a bad thing too. Right. You know, especially in our sport, you know, but, um, that that's a good way if if anybody wants to reach out or if they have any questions or need any direction you know uh, about anything yeah, they can get me on my instagram and i'll get back to them i just gave you a follow sir so oh, yeah. hopefully you uh see that and like oh yeah i know that guy he's pretty cool he's the idiot that starved himself <laughs> yeah find my photo and be like don't do that actually i should send it to you <laughs> be like don't do this <laughs> What not to do when dieting? No, oh, I, legitimately. Okay, I got you. Uh, <laughs> thank you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I have to send that to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, Eddie, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, of course. It was, it was a pleasure, and we'll have to have you back again. Yep, anytime. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, pleasure's all mine. Yeah, we've had a, we've had a bunch of the fighters from, from Extreme Couture, so it's kind of cool to have one of the coaches on as well. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience where no sport is left behind.